www.thehistory.bizpodcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by two of our regulars. Marie D'Alessandri. And Mike Williams. As well as several incredible guests, including freelance writer Aaron Lee. Aaron, how's it going this morning? It's going okay. Thank you, Rebecca. It's not morning there for you, is it? <laughs> no. Over here in London, it's, it's, a, it's another cloudy, overcast afternoon. But yeah, it's going well, thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, we also have Twitch partner, creative director of RPG Into the Motherlands, and founder of I Need Diverse Games, Tanya DePass. Tanya, great to have you. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm just glad that uh, everything decided to work for me for once, because I've been having all the weird little <laughs> tech issues that comes with streaming and podcasting and recording. So I've also got a lot of coffee, because it's one of those oh. days already. Good morning. I... I, too, share in the coffee drinking this morning, so I, I feel that very strongly. Um, and then we also have founder of Melanin Gamers, Annabelle Ashali Anthony. Annabelle, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I, the coffee, the coffee again, <laughs> every time. Um, so everyone's here today to talk about an extremely important subject, uh, Black representation in the industry and the barriers facing Black professionals in games. Uh, the springboard of sorts uh, was two pieces published recently over at GamesIndustry.biz. One was written by Aaron here, uh, where he interviewed a number of UK Black gaming professionals specifically about representation in the UK. Um, and the other was by Marie, who similarly interviewed a number of Black gaming professionals about industry barriers, uh, specifically to retention and promotion. Uh, Tanya and Annabelle were both quoted in these pieces and you should absolutely go read both of them. I'm going to put links to them in the podcast description for you so you can find them really easily. Um, go read them, please. Um, but we wanted to talk about it, too, in a podcast por- format. And obviously, this is a huge topic to del- delve into. And I think I've probably officially talked too much now. Um, so, Marie, you had suggested a good starting point for this discussion earlier. Marie, do you want to kind of lead into that? Sure. Um, so I think I wanted to start with um, maybe just saying I think there's two main topics uh, that we we could address. One is the the lack of black representation in the games we play, and the other is the lack of black representation in the industry itself. Um, So obviously the two are are very interlinked and uh, both uh, call for a real shift in the tide, which is um, what Annabelle very rightly said in in Aaron's feature. Uh, So there's a lot to talk about, uh, but as a starting point for the discussion, I actually wanted to turn to Tanya and Annabelle first, uh, because you both started organizations um, championing black representation in games, and I think they kind of address both sides of the coin. So... um, Annabelle, you are the founder of Melanin uh, Game Gamers, sorry, um, as as Rebecca said, so which is dedicated to diversity and inclusion in the games industry. So you organize networking events, workshops, discussions to advocate for better representation. And Tanya, you are the founder of I Need Diverse Games, uh, which is a non-profit organization that is seeking to better diversify all aspects of gaming. So. Uh, can you both tell us a bit more uh, about what you, why you wanted to start these organizations and, and what issues you were trying to address uh, in, in the industry? I guess there was, there was a multitude of reasons why I wanted to, I guess, start Melanin Gamers, or I suppose it really boils down to I wanted more representation in the games that I was playing and that um, I'm a patron of. And my friends and I, we were always discussing how difficult it was, like, oh, we have to pick that one black character or something like that, and the back of house, the people actually developing these games. Or if we did see ourselves represented, it would be in a stereotypical way that was generally harmful 
and so I didn't know how do I actually how do we do something and I guess if I thought about it too much I probably wouldn't have done anything so I just thought look there's a lot of us who sort of think the same way a gaming community is how we sort of started you know a lot of us with similar ideas and just let's I guess we're like social activists but gamers as well that's that's kind of how I put melanin gamers were gamers but we're also activists and it was just I feel like in trying to um I guess stop a problem you have to first address it and acknowledge it there is an actual problem here you know that was like step one so that's why we were doing panel talks and things like that and a, a lot of our panel talks it was always oh I didn't realize you guys wanted to be represented which seems insane to people who want to be represented but a lot of I'm not saying it was all it was always ignorance for people but a lot of it was just they didn't realize they didn't know we would speak to a lot of um industry insiders at these panels uh, all over London that we were doing them um EGX Comic-Con Insomnia Gaming Festival and they generally some of them generally a lot overwhelming majority just didn't know didn't know how to like I guess they're just used to a type of game that they make and that you know copy and paste and it works it works it works so why deviate from that sort of thing but um so it was hard for us to sort of tell them actually no this is the problem and the these are ways that we can fix it as well so not just calling out a problem but these are the ways you can fix it speaking to the people who like actually do your research when you're making a game I won't call out actual games but some of the games when they do represent us there was a game that just had an angry black woman and it was just like this is not what we want at all those are harmful stereotypes when you're doing that now I'm not saying black women can't be angry of course we can but if we're only ever seeing one type of trope it becomes the norm and it's actually very harmful has real life consequences um I guess the tipping scale for me starting Madeline Gamers was um just something that happened with my brother when he was going for he wanted to make Grandmaster at Overwatch and people on his own team were being this racial slurs on him and he my so I have two brothers an older one and a younger one and the younger one was being and so when my parents found out that my brother was being bullied online by his own team they banned him from playing so they banned him my brother from playing this game because he was being bullied and he said to me, um, who wins if I stop losing? And that, like, it really affected me. Then my younger brother started getting bullied at school in real life, and he didn't say anything for a long time. Because to him, he would be punished. Him, he was getting bullied, would be punished because somehow he's done something wrong because of this instance. And I was like, this, this can't go on any longer. We have to do something. We have to do anything to try and stop the bullying online. That, And I think that also stems from people not realizing that there's like we have to normalize people of color black people in games and it doesn't become something that's special it just becomes something that's normal and so when you're playing with a woman like i mute my mic sometimes but i try to do it less and less now so just people get used to the fact that a woman is playing this game a woman is doing this black people are doing that so it's not like oh my god it's so special it's just the norm so i guess that's that was the tipping point for me for really starting melanin gamers that instance there was loads of instances but that was the the crux for me. So there's already a lot uh, that I want to talk about about what you just said. I just want to give Tanya the, the opportunity to as well uh, tell us a bit about um, why you started I Need Diverse Games and then then obviously everyone feel free to pitch in the discussion and, and react um, to, to what's being said of course. 
Uh, for me, it was just a lot of right time, right place. I, uh, I actually wasn't part of the industry in 2014 when that all happened. I'd gone with a friend to GDC that year because she really wanted to get in the industry. But then, you know, the the evil that shall not be named was going on and that kind of pushed her out of wanting to go. But a lot of the games that we got to see there, got to see at E3, were starting to come out in October. And once again, we got the same bland white dude, brown hair, blue eyes, saving the woman kind of game. And I had a moment of anger and frustration before going to work, threw out some tweets and added the hashtag I need diverse games. And it was right time, right place. People kept retweeting it, kept sharing it, and it trended for a bit. And then after a while, I started getting invited to do panels and started a podcast, got, you know, joined other podcasts. And it was accidental activism because these are things I've always cared about but it wasn't like this is my job this is what I'm gonna go do because I still had a day job until December 2015 and you know after I lost my day job I decided okay I'm gonna make a go of this see if I can make if not a career out of it make a job out of it and see where it goes and I gave myself to unemployment right out um started the process to become a not-for-profit then a non-profit and it worked out. People were into what I was doing and supported. So there, you know, there's a lot of things I've done. I've done diversity and inclusion consulting and, and other things where it was just like everybody was on that same wavelength of it'd be cool if I could see some brown people. It'd be cool if I could see some good black hair in a game or have dark skin tones and not disappear literally when it's nighttime in a game. And also, as I got to go visit more companies, go visit more studios and do talks, I saw diversity in the room, but not at who's making the final decision. So that really pushed me to try to get more people in the industry if they want to go and support people who do that. So a lot of things that we do are getting people to the game developer conference, supporting smaller conferences this morning, things like Game Does of Color, and helping people with the access that's missing, because a lot of people have the issue of they want to make games, they want to do whatever, but access is an issue for those who don't know. Going to the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, whenever we can physically go again, is thousands of dollars. Your ticket, if you want to go all week, is two grand. So, you know, trying to get people that access, because for me, the crux of the issue is is access, but also retention. Once people get in the studio, are they welcomed? Are they made to feel like they matter and that their contributions matter? Because a lot of people get in the industry, but they don't stay in the industry. And, you know, it's not just video games that we work with. It's tabletop. I'm doing way more tabletop than I ever thought I would in my life. So it's, it's getting people in the door and helping them find a seat at the table and making sure that seat at the table isn't a, oh, we realize it's all white dudes. Let's fix it. And now here's our one person that we brought in so we don't get people yelling us saying we're racist versus actually wanting to do it for the right reasons. Absolutely. Like, so we, we talked um, for, for the, the feature I published and we actually talked about this, about um, culture and like the games industry obsession with culture fits. And Tanya, you gave me this wonderful quote, which I used as a pull quote, which is uh, culture fit is bullshit. Uh, and I, if you don't mind telling me a bit more about that and about why there's a problem with culture in the games industry, um, because as 
a lot of companies complain that they don't have a lot of diversity, but one, they do not make a lot of efforts to improve uh, that state. And second, um, once they have black people, people of color actually crossing the door and entering their company, these people have to mold themselves is the expression uh, Shay Thompson used in, in that feature as well, and fit into this culture that is not necessarily theirs. So I don't know if that's something you, you um, can tell me a bit more, anyone can tell me a bit more about. Um, well, culture fit, I've seen it in corporate America. I've seen it with a lot of friends who go for jobs and then, and then they get rejected. And if they do ask, they're like, oh, we didn't think you were a culture fit. And then when you look at the studio, you look at like their hiring page, look at their website. It's all about, you see the same, you know, cult, not even color Benetton, the same gap looking ad where it's like all the same bro dudes. They all are like in khakis or game shirts and there's no diversity at all. And then if you do get in the door and it's a very bro-y environment and someone makes, you know, for lack of a better phrase, an off-color joke, a racist joke, a sexist joke, which are never funny, by the way, and you complain about it, it's like, oh, well, we're just, you know, it's not serious. It's just how the industry is. And it's like the industry can do better. We can do better as people. And so many people, both on the corporate side and, and let's be real, making games at a big studio, you are in a corporate environment, whether or not people want to act like, oh, free meals and all this other stuff. You're in a corporate gig. And it's basically you are going to upset the status quo. I can't make the jokes or we might have to realize femme presenting people will need things like sanitary products or anyone who may need these things in the bathroom. You know, we can't like watch porn on computers, which I've heard people say has happened in studios. I've never witnessed it because I don't work for any one studio or just things where it's like. In a, in a nine to five corporate gig, like in downtown Chicago, you could never do this stuff ideally and get away with it. But I feel like there's so much slack because it, it's so homegrown. A lot of people start game studios and then build it up and it becomes, you know, the next big AAA thing. But that we're a small company and we're a family mindset doesn't go away until you have that reckoning of, oh, we're a real big company. Or, you know, with everything that's going on, there's just so many people that feel discouraged because they don't see anyone like us. They don't see me or Mike or anyone, you know, from Melon Gamers. Like, we watch E3, we watch the Game Awards. Where Where's the melanin? And when you point these things out, then it's like, oh, well, why are you making waves? Why are you making about race? It's like, have you noticed the world doesn't let me not make it about race? I, I get no choice in this. I'm not out here trying to bring up race at every opportunity just for just for fun. The world we live in doesn't let me do it. And I can't ignore that very real aspect of who I am for anyone's comfort. And if they want me to do that, that's their problem. And that's what I mean by culture fit. It's like people are very happy with the status quo. They don't want to change their corporate environment. They don't want to change the very bro-y environment that a lot of studios maintain. Yeah, and, and touching on two points that one, she was just talking about the culture fit, but also Tanya brought up access. Uh, one of the things that I have noted uh, overall, and it's starting to get better, is uh, sort of early access and access to certain games on my side of the, the pond as a journalist uh, gives you more visibility. Like if you are one of the few people 
that has access to a brand new big game that gets eyeballs on your side, which increases your uh, viewership uh, and your audience, which means that in the future you get more access. Um, and so basically people are, are, are getting chances and that is boosting them higher. And usually that has tended to go towards uh, personalities and hosts that have classically been um, whiter, uh, more affluent, and who live in, and this is a, a large problem across uh, a lot of industries, but even in ours, uh, in the major cities uh, like New York or San Francisco uh, or Los Angeles. And uh, I've, I've personally myself gone in for a job. Uh, this was outside of gaming. This was for a tech company and been told you're a great fit for the position, but you don't live in uh, San Francisco already, which is prohibitively expensive for most people. Um, and I, I know a lot of freelance, excellent writers who do excellent work, but who live in say Atlanta uh, who live in Houston, Texas, uh, who live in smaller states and cities around the country because that's what they can afford or that's where they already live with family or with friends or whatever. And they can't uproot themselves and go into debt just to get close to the company to get a, a, a smidgen of a chance to get a job or to get a position and I think that closes a lot of doors. Um, and you sort of mentioned that also in the article, uh, that, that people can't always, uh, sometimes companies have to reach out to people in areas that are not classically where they pull talent from because they may find uh, excellent, talented professionals there who just haven't, like until you get the job, sometimes you can't move to one of these other places. And sometimes the job uh, salary won't even cover living there. So it's uh, access is a major problem. I think we were chatting a bit before we started recording about just, you know, seeing who's getting like review units for the new consoles or, you know, Watch Dogs Legion launched yesterday and the ways people react or noting who did and who didn't get access to to the game and the ways people react but also you know a lot of people are probably going to listen and go well how do i get access and it's like well are you doing content because i i think there's a fallacy and it's a little off topic but i think there's this weird fallacy of especially with streamers that oh you get freebies all the time and streamers get free games and it's like not all streamers get free games and you have to do things for those free games. I can't just be like, thanks for all the, these game keys. Um, but that that access makes you way more visible and sometimes can bring a lot more hassle, which I don't know if we'll get into that later. But it, it's it's always fun, quote unquote, to, to have that visibility and then have people act like you've stolen something from them that they probably never had a chance at to begin with. I was just gonna 
continue on the topic of, of access and all and on the topic of um, lifting uh, young black people in the industry, lifting them up. Lifting up, sorry, what's the actual word I'm looking for? Lift up, is that actually the expression? I think so, yeah. I think that's what you're going for. Yeah, okay, thank you, Rebecca. (laughs) Raising up. up, Uplift. (laughs) Uplift, maybe that's what I'm looking for. Sorry, not a native speaker, sometimes I just forget words. Um, So So what I wanted to say on the the topic of access and uplifting young black people in the industry, um, that the industry... um, from what I can see, doesn't necessarily make the effort of reaching out in um, educational uh, organizations or like universities or whatever, uh, yeah, educational organizations that exist uh, to find people who are not uh, the people we see right now in the industry. Uh, it's still seen as normal in this industry to hire or promote someone into a role just because they're part of the gang, you know, uh, instead of seeking talent elsewhere, um, we there's a lack of trying to open up the, the recruitment pipeline. So I just wanted to ask you all, like, what what can the industry do to reach out to young people um, and to make sure that's going to lead to um, a long lasting change? Uh, I mean, yeah, so companies, need, they, they, they need to, as you say, Marie, they, they need to take make more effort to invest and reach out to young people and inspire and give, and give opportunities for the people who are in these roles um the, for, for black professionals who are in who are in these roles the developers the the creatives in a range of who are in a, a range of, of roles from um development or programming to it pr to um, speak with to, to, to speak with young people and for the, for, for journalists and, and, and those who are um, writing story to reach out to them so they can be seen, so that young people can actually um, see see these people in the roles and and set their sights on on becoming something like that in, in future. Uh, when I was at university, I, I recall um, different roles: people who were doing programming or computing, um, the banking industry, in the banking sector. They would always come and reach out and send offers to the people doing those roles to come and work in the banking sector. Um, and when I was speaking to uh, games companies at that time, just doing um, for, for my student for, for my student paper at the time, they would say to me, "Oh, we we always have to we have a, we always have to compete with the banking industry for talent." So that was something they was they were saying there to you know they wanted to reach out to young people then, but then that hasn't really continued, and especially for those uh, who don't often get opportunities or don't often um, find themselves in front of um, or don't, don't often even know. That there's an opportunity to join a games company, become a producer, work in QA, work in all these different roles that exist in games. Yeah, and in in terms of reaching out, also companies there there is something to be said for uh, just offering uh, money and resources. So uh, I talk uh, every couple months at a local vocational uh, high school, um, and the kids there have. A chance to, uh, as part of their Votech program, work with Unreal Engine and Unity, and uh, these engines are very robust, and they can do some very impressive games over the course of a year as they're learning these tools. And part of uh, how that program has sort of beefed up is that uh, former Oculus uh, VR CEO Brennan Arib uh, apparently went to a high school local to the Votex school. 
So he uh, offered money uh, and and equipment and stuff to this school, uh, which allows them access to tools that they probably normally wouldn't have. And that's that's a, a case of sort of luck in terms of that school, but not everyone has that chance. And uh, having access to things like uh, computers or, or up-to-date VR or, or other up-to-date technology uh, is helpful in that case. So like, if you're to pick a company, say Rare, and uh, you know perhaps there's a, a school in an area that you don't normally interact with, uh, offering them money and tech for, for specific gaming purposes actually does help. I think that that's a feeling that was expressed by by a lot of the interviews in, in my feature, but in yours as well, Aaron, about how companies uh, needed to put their uh, money where their mouth is, uh, where it's, it is it is not enough to just say you want better representation or um, open up the recruitment pipeline. You actually need to um, to put a budget a budget behind it. Absolutely, Marie. Absolutely. I mean that's. Again, just to go back to, to sort of to the points that um, I was trying to say there, that Des Gales um, at Alter Gene was saying, he said to me he wants to see more access for young people um, of all colours and backgrounds to be able to get into the industry by you know with opportunities which for those who may not um, get into higher education because as, as he feels, I mean a lot of um, a lot of uh, education systems like here in the UK, they can be more about memory tests and memory tests under pressure or. Um, Young people being, you know, if you're in a particular set, you may not get the opportunity to um, achieve a high grade like an A or or above, and that, that, that may restrict you from them reaching, you know, um, particular A levels or particular grades that you need to reach to get into a particular university to then gain access to those um, studios or other opportunities. So he was saying there needs to be more programs and um, game studios need to be working get, and working directly with other charitable organisations and re reaching out to reach young people themselves to being more proactive about it than rather than waiting for universities um, and, and and these are you know the higher education system to come to them with um, with, with ready molded people um i definitely agree with checking in with the young people in fact um because youth are the future that's what we're always saying we melding games we we do panels at colleges here that's i think um people from ages like 15 to 18 um we do talks there and actually some most of the talks are targeted towards the students and their parents who are in attendance because especially when you're talking about um students from ethnic backgrounds their parents going into gaming is is they don't even see that as a viable career choice they don't really understand it and um like there's four career options when you're when you're a person of color. There's engineer, there's lawyer, there's a doctor, and there's a pastor. And anything else, and you've actually just failed in life. So just letting them know that there are different, just the multitude of jobs that are available in the games industry. It always every single time we have one of these panel talks at a college or school or university, it just blows people's minds. Like what? There is a like they don't believe us that we have a whole slideshow and then we have a talk. And then we're talking to a lot of the students come up to us afterwards. They're like, is there really people like that? And it's just, it's the innocence of the question of some people who are usually confident, like these, 
they they're very rowdy crowd and afterwards they sort of settle down and realize actually this can be a real thing that they want to pursue they're into gaming they like writing they can be a games journalist they can they can review games they can do this it's they just they think gaming is synonymous with oh we're not a coder or a programmer that's the only jobs they think are available there's illustration there's just so many and also getting the parents on board and also the schools in that you know invest in this sort of um, business because that is the future you know gaming is just growing bigger and bigger and bigger and it needs to be diverse now as it's growing as opposed to when it's already made it and then trying to get people in it's always more difficult after the fact whilst it's still a toddler if you compare gaming to like movies and uh it's gaming is definitely still so young and it's just growing and growing and growing and just getting people more people of color into that as it's growing is so so crucial for us from like that's what we mean when we say the grassroots at the very top like getting them um educated on these things um courses that they can take whilst they're this young so that when they're older they're like actually i want to go into gaming i've got the skills to back it up too that's the crucial that's the crucial age that we need anyone can do learning like my sister is going into medicine and she's 32 she's started uni and she's doing medicine now so i'm not saying that it doesn't matter what age you are you can get into something but even she says if she had known what she knows now then she would have just gone for it right then and there so it's just it's education is it's just so 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 crucial and just arming ourselves with this knowledge Definitely. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm really pleased to, to have you here, um, Annabelle, Antonia, and Mike as well, to, you know, to bring up these these views and for us to share these things. As um, Annabelle, as you just said there, I mean, in films and TV, we've got people like um, Michaela Cole, we've got you know, Naomi Harris, Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. All these people have been you know, making incredible productions, changing th things, and you know, putting on incredible performances. They've been winning awards, galvanizing those people to go and see them. And yet in gaming, things have been so slow. We're lucky if we still get the token um, supporting black character in games. It's been, I think we're really, over, we're long overdue for more black lead characters in games, black male lead characters, black female lead characters. I can't, I can't recall the last time I've seen a game with a, with a black lead female character. Well, there's Remember Me. I'm trying to think. Um, well, there's Remember Me, yeah. but it's interesting because the character, as you play her story, you learn she's she's supposed to be mixed, but the character art is clearly this black woman. And people will argue. What's, what's weird and kind of creepy for me is people will sit there and argue the ethnicity of a bunch of pixels, but won't acknowledge that real live black people will like representation. Um, and there's Mafia 3 for a black lead, um, black male lead in a game. But again, Lincoln Clay is black and something else because he was supposedly fathered in the Vietnam War. And it was one of those, so who was your mom exactly? Or who was your dad? But look at the ways in which people do react still. It's it's cool that there are games finally putting black folks in lead roles in games. But we also need to reset gamers because look at how they act when you've got a game like Mafia 3 or Remember Me or, you know, people still want to argue about Overwatch and who's black and who's not. Note, none of the people making that argument are actually black or probably can pick the places the Overwatch characters are from on a map. So... 
it's not just getting more representation on screen. It's seeing more people who are making the games that look like us, but also getting gamers to kind of get off this weird idea that if you put a black character in a game, then, oh, no, you're pushing an agenda. This is SJWBS. Well, it's like these fucking gamers don't understand that, A, you're advocating for a bunch of pixels to be exactly like you. And also, don't you get bored playing the same bullshit, blonde, blue-eyed character dude in every game versus I get a new story, I get a new point of view. And I'm not saying that me that someone playing a black character in a game is going to cure racism because we know it doesn't look at the internet, but... It'd be cool if I could have a character that looks like me not have to wade through 20 pages of angry bro dudes mad because they feel forced to play a black character. Because like when I played Mafia 3, I streamed it. I wrote about it. Um, I was still on on Spawn on Me when, when we talked about it and talked to the lead some of the developers. You would think someone broke in these people's houses and put a gun to their fucking head and force them to sit at their PC or their console and play Link and Clay for hours on end. But it's like, you get to turn that game off and walk out your door. I do not. And that's the part that makes me real angry about it. The people want to be like, oh, oh, forced diversity. And I'm like, that's digital diversity. You turn that game off, you go wherever you're going, you're still white. I'm not. Yeah, and, and I, when I talk to developers occasionally about uh, diversity, just tend to be off the record uh, unless it's related to their game but I, I i tend to bring up the fact that it's like diversity is is good for us but also uh as tanya was saying it's good for you from a narrative and aesthetic point because you can start to explore different backgrounds uh and that's not just about race that's uh, you know that's about race. That's about uh, sexual orientation. That's about religious background. Um, like there's more perspectives that you can pull from that create very interesting characters. And then like you just look over at, at other industries and they've started to slowly realize uh, that like there's money to be made in uh catering to some of these audiences like marvel is currently working its way like it saw black panther make a ton of money and it's like you know what who's next in line oh we got a major asian character shang chi let's get that movie done now to to reach out to an asian audience who's next like moving down the line because there are audiences that are hungry for those stories one because it speaks to them personally and others because they uh, perhaps want to see uh, how other people live or, or what their stories are. And, and that's interesting to them. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's interesting from a narrative point of view and it's interesting uh, and it's worthwhile from a, a commercial point of view. So I, I'm always like perplexed that companies are slow to sort of get on board. Um, Cause uh, like we, we talk about in this particular point, uh, black uh, representation uh, within the industry, within the games. But I mean, also like I, I, I like 
characters uh, with mental illness, uh, characters who are, are Vietnamese, characters who are Irish Catholic. Like there are so many ways you can go. And it's always odd to me that we keep limiting ourselves overall with the types of stories that we tell and the characters we create. Agreed. Agreed, Mike. I mean, games are such a wide canvas and there's just so much they can do, have done, can do and have still to do. I think, Aaron, this, um, this, what we're just discussing, this paradox of the, of the games industry, you expressed it really well in the very first sentence of your feature, actually, about how we work in an industry that's, uh, that can create all these sorts of like completely impossible, mind-blowing worlds, but yet can't seem to have black protagonists be a common thing. I think that's something I'm, I'm sure. I'm definitely sure. I mean, Tanya, Mike, you, you've said it there. You, Mike, Tanya, and Annabelle, we've all said it. I mean, it's, we don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, let's start talking about representation. Let me start talking about diversity. This is just something we just we simply see. I mean, there's been, because, of course, our, our, because our hair is different, our, our skin is different. We didn't choose these things. This is how we were born. This is how we are. I think sometimes as well, I mean, we as, as black people, um, and, and all of us as, as people, we go, you know, you go through these struggles with your identity, with who you are as a person, who your family is, who people expect you to be. And that's something which, you know, um, which, you know, the music I've, I've listened to, the, the films I've watched, all these things that have helped me, and I'm sure they've helped all of us. And I, I, just, I just think it's, it's just frustrating and it just gets boring with games. I, um, when you, you know, when you, when you boot them up and you, and you, and you want to see, more of your experiences, more of what's what's in, of your identity, or more of your, you know more of the things which you could see about yourself in them. Um, recently, I, recently I played. Um, recently, I played. Blood, I started playing Bloodborne, and um, I, I tried everybody's golf on a PlayStation Four, the, the the PS4 version. I was just I was, I was very surprised to find that even in the, in the character selection screens there and the character creation screens. There were no options for, for Afro kind of hairstyles or um, braids or, or any, any of these kind of options. Everybody's golf had some similar ones, but it was just it was just disappointing to see that even at this point, um, with these Japanese games, they haven't yet reached the point where they're being more um, more inclusive and just showing the kinds of of skin tones of styles that, that I'd like to see and that more of us would like to see in them. Yeah, I, I play a lot of MMOs and online service games, and if there's a character creator, I tend to play uh, what I, I lovingly call uh, a white guy with very dark skin uh, <laughs> in most of them, because uh, the hair sometimes isn't quite right, the face isn't quite right, uh, and like, wow, just this year added uh, for the human races more... Uh, faces indicative of different uh, real world races so like they had more black features more asian features um which like i i know probably some developers are like well isn't that a little stereotypical and blah 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 and i'm like yes and i i can see you slightly worrying about that but it is also like a part like like i like yeah if i'm making my face in a character creator with sliders my lips are actually a little bit bigger just to make my face work quite right. So I like, I get it, but still like add more faces. Like we look different. <laughs> we all look different. And, uh, 
especially character creators should cater to that. Absolutely. I think as well, I mean, you know, Tanya with, with your organization, Annabelle with your organization as well, those are just two examples. And there's organizations like People of Color, um, POC in play. These organizations are, are here now, they exist. And they're, you know, you're being vocal and you're sharing lots of good good things with people and you're connecting with the industry. It should be more, more studios and developers should be connecting with all of you when they need guidance, when they need to have training about what do they need to, what should they put in games, how they, how should they um, approach putting, um, you know, black people in, in games, in things like the character creators. I think the people and the resources are, are there. Studios need to start doing more, being more proactive about connecting with it with people. We're, we're getting a little bit close to time. Um, so I wanted to, I, I have one more question that I want to end on, but I wanted to sort of give everybody, all four of you specifically, the opportunity to, I guess, give any final thoughts that you want the industry to hear about what you want to see companies and leadership level people do to improve things in the industry for black professionals. I know, I know we've hit on a lot of those kinds of things, but like if there's any very specific message or like kind of concrete thing that you want to see done. I need, I need industry leadership to a realize we exist to begin with, um, work with more black and POC influencers, um, have equity in who you're hiring and and get away from the idea that diversity means less quality, that you are sacrificing something by reaching out and looking for candidates when you have openings that are not just the dude you went to college with that may be in your frat. Find people that are out there. There's so many great people making games that don't even bother because they don't think there's a place for them. And also mentorship and these programs where it's like, here's a laptop and 10 weeks of code camp, and then you never hear from them again. You need ongoing mentorship and support. And uh, like Mike said, also resources. Help people learn to code. Help people get art programs. Photoshopping, cheap. Help people get the tools they need because you're going to get a lot more and a lot more uh, response from people versus a here's a one-time thing. Good luck. Yeah. And I'll say for, for my statement, uh, mine is probably I'm going to go back to hammering on on access. Uh, as Tanya was talking, resources are one thing, but also place. And I, I'm i sort of uh, that the pandemic has pushed people to sort of realize uh, that place is sort of a state of mind. I understand studios probably need to be in studios, but you can also have more people working remotely um, and have more developers who perhaps are not in New York or Austin, Texas uh, or LA or San Francisco who you can give a chance. And in fact, if you start them working remotely and then you pay them a good competitive salary, uh, eventually they can move and go and be a part of your studio uh, in person. But a lot of people can't just start unless they already live in New York or whatever uh, and go into debt um, just to have a chance to potentially work at your studio or your website. I would, I would say for, for um, what I'd like to, what I'd like to tell, tell industries is elevate your, your black people and elevate the people of color in your studios, no matter what kind of role they're in, especially if um, there are opportunities 
uh, from the press to speak on a particular subject or, or issue, which isn't about diversity as well, I should say, if it's just about a coding issue or an art issue, give people in your studio in your studios opportunities to be seen and be heard. That, that's positive. That will give young people, that will give readers, viewers, streamers more opportunities to connect with the industry and be inspired by the people they see in it. Um. I, I agree with what everyone has said, basically what I would have said. Um, the only point I would add is that also working with organisations that are already doing this, I feel like some industries, they think that they have to start from the very beginning, from the like, but there's already communities that are set up and that are promoting diversity and inclusion and reach out to those communities. Do your research properly when it comes to these sort of things. Don't just, because we can all spot a token when we see a token, which is like this person's a token. And it's just, that that's just lazy work. And don't just drag any um, any person of color or melanated person that you see and just think, okay, they can do the job. Actually work with people who are already putting the time in. Like I need diverse games, like fucking player, like Melon Gamers. We're already doing these things. Reach out to these um communities and say, hey, we're doing a game. Like just things as simple as how to get skin tones correctly, you know? Don't research what you think people of colour want as opposed to what they actually want depending on what you're working with and the hiring process, the content creation, all the different levels so that, um, and don't just put someone there in a high level because you think they are, um, they are, they are a brown person or a black person. And then, okay, look, see, we've got one of them and that's it. You've ticked it off your box or have, um, like Aaron said, just another diversity panel. You know, we have opinions outside of our color. You know, I'm I'm a black woman. I'm also a writer. I like to bake. I rollerblade. I swim. I like like black people aren't just we're just black and that's it. That's the beginning and end of that statement. We're multifaceted, like everybody else in the world. And so, just always just focusing on that one point is can be a dangerous mindset and leads to harmful stereotypes, which, like we were saying, has real world consequences. So I think research definitely needs to be done, but knowing that you don't have to be starting from the very beginning. There's already people who've put in the legwork and working with them will probably save a lot more time and will lead to more authentic representation as well. Before I let you all go, I, I had one other question. Um, I would love to hear each of you plug a game or some games that have been especially important to you, um, you know, as, as professionals in this industry, whether whether that's because they represented you in some meaningful way or just for any reason at all. Like, what what are what are some games that are very meaningful to you? Um, I think everyone knows. I don't know everyone knows, but Apex Legends is probably the game that means the most to me currently. Um, it was one of the first FPS games I played, and the the different people of color that are in Apex, it's just such a beautiful thing because they are more than, when you make a character, a character, they just, they become more than just their race. Like there's two black women in it and they're very different. There's Bangalore who is um, like a soldier. She's, she's very knowledgeable and they could have gotten that really wrong because she's quite a strong character and they could have had gone the whole angry black woman trip, but they didn't because Again, they put the research into her character. And then there's Lifeline, who's more cutesy. She's um, a medic. She's also a black woman. And just 
And there's different people of color in Apex Legends, the game, just when it landed, when it launched, they were already like that. And it was just, that's, and I got to cosplay as Lifeline and it was just a wonderful feeling being able to cosplay as this character, looking like her, looking at a game and seeing that person looks like me and it feels really good to play a game like this. And it's not all about her race, you know? Her race is part of who she is. And that's exactly the sort of character that we want. It's not all of who she is. And so she becomes less about us. She's a black, she's she's also a medic. She's a this, she's a that. She's got a best friend there. And that is a game that I've been playing <laughs> since it launched. I absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, I can't think, like I can't speak about Apex enough. Honestly, they should start paying me with the amount of times I've <laughs> and the amount of people I've actually gotten to start playing it as well. I, I literally am just like, you should play it, you should play it, you should play it, you should play it. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, and I'm cosplaying as Bangalore for Halloween again because that's how much I love this game. <laughs> so, yeah. For me, it was Mafia 3. Um, I was iffy because I'd never played the first two games. And then when I saw the trailer, especially when you get to feed a mobster to an alligator, I was like that gif of, like, take my money. And the fact that I get to smoke like the equivalent of the KKK in the game, I was like, done. Here, I'm getting the collector's edition. Take all my money. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm going to say I, I'm currently playing uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, but I can't talk about that, uh, even though Miles is a very important character to me personally. So I will go with Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, uh, which starred uh, Adewale from... Uh, AC4 Black Flag, and uh, that was a particularly important game for me because I've always loved Assassin's Creed, and Alavani was such an interesting character in Black Flag. Uh, so to actually have a chance to focus on his life was uh, amazing for me. Uh, sadly, it was in a sort of a side story, like a standalone expansion game, but I still loved it. I uh, just want to second that Assassin's Creed is the best ever and I absolutely love Assassin's Creed. All the series, I have an Assassin's Creed ring and I'm a huge, I'm a Assassin's Creed stan, basically. So yeah, I get that feeling when you got to play a character. I should have prepared for this question. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'm, I can't, I've, honestly, I think um, well, I'm going to just stick with it with an oldie. I'm going to stick with, I think, Jack 2 by Naughty Dog. Because um, I'd always loved kind of the storytelling in, in Naughty Dog games, um, but before there was certainly from that, especially from that point on, I played the original Jack and Daxter. But um, with Jack Two, they really kind of opened up the, the world and the characters, and seeing um, and hearing uh, Phil Lamar, who plays Sig, a, a supporting character in the game, that was just he's very much you know, your, your gruff, um, uh, a badass. That's what that's what he's doing. He's a badass wastelander. But I was just so um, taken with with the whole characters and the world of that. They just it just opened up my whole mind of what games could be back then when I played it as a teenager, and who, who you know who you could where you could go, who you could be, and wanting to see more and learn more about the characters themselves. So that's that's one which really stays with me, and it, I think I see it. I still see it in the kind of storytelling that the, the Naughty Dog as a studio has gone on to do produce with Uncharted and The Last of Us, of course. So yeah. Oh, they can find me um, at 
uh, Aaron Lee. That's A-A-R-N-L-E-E. So, so without the affectionate O <laughs> on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. Awesome. Tanya, how about you? Uh, you can find me everywhere for my personal stuff. Uh, Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. Um, that is Twitch, Twitter, the whole shebang. And uh, I'm going to... I'm going to be that person and plug the one thing I'm super proud of that I'm doing, which is uh, Into the Motherlands. It is a new sci-fi RPG I'm the creator and creator director of with an amazing team of all black and POC creators. We are doing an actual play and developing the game in tandem. So catch that at 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Central on my Twitch channel, which is, of course, Cypher of Tear. And we are in the works of putting out an actual here's our books. You can go play it yourself for some point next year and uh yeah that's that's what i do but cypher tears my socials i need diverse games is i need div gms because i need diverse games is too long for most social handles and uh if you want to follow motherlands rpg itself it's just motherlands rpg on twitter instagram and our website so yeah rpg is my life right now um you can find melanin gamers on basically every social platform that there is twitch twitter instagram linkedin facebook youtube and we have the melanin gamers website it's the melanin gamers so melanin is m-e-l-a-n-i-n gamers at basically everything (laughs) i stream as part of a stream team there's long alongside other people of color content creators who we showcase on our various platforms uh, you can find my work at usgamer.net, and you can find me on Twitter all the time at Automatic Zen. That's Z E N. Uh, that's pretty much where I put all of my other nonsense. All of the other nonsense. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you all. Uh, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Once you're on that good podcasting platform, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should not only go back and read the articles by Aaron and Marie on these subjects, which I will link in the description, but you will also get should also get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at GameIndustry.biz. Thanks, everyone. Bye.